going to be a church of Christ followers, not a, a, a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church, but more and more I'm beginning to wonder if this is a Baptist church because it seems like week by week, like we're going further back, like especially you guys over here, like the back is full, first two rows are empty. So hey, tonight, if you're just joining us, this is the deal. You're, you're, you're picking up with us on a three-week look at what it means to be a disciple and how we relate to three different things in our role as being disciples. Last week we talked about what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Tonight we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and how we relate to Him. And next week we're going to be looking at what it looks like to relate to God through Prayer. And so we thank you for joining us tonight. If you are not a follower of Christ, I want to say something right off the bat. Tonight, because we are in the text and we're going where the text goes, I'm going to be speaking specifically to those that are disciples. So what that means is I'm going to be speaking specifically tonight to those of you that would say that you are Christ followers And more specifically tonight, I'm going to be speaking to those people that have said that they are desirous of being a part of Matthias Lot. That is what this message is primarily driven to. So let me pray for us tonight as we get started. God, we love you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this church. We thank you, God, for this place that you have allowed us to meet. And God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Because without him we would have no reason to meet. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen. So let's pick up. uh, If you have your words, open them up with me. If you do not have them, um, we've got the text that's going to be up on the screen. And uh, we're going to be going pretty quick through some text tonight. Um, So we're going to be starting here in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home for him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has let me do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha Martha, can't you just imagine Jesus saying those words? Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. If any of you are like me, like I really have to, to be able to get a grasp of a story by really trying to, to picture what was actually happening. And so what we see here is Jesus is traveling with his disciples. And usually Jesus would like let somebody know in advance that he was coming to say to stay, but we don't see that for sure in this scripture. And so I think it may be a little bit dangerous to assume that maybe Jesus was already staying there in the village and Mary just said Mary and Martha just said, "Come and stay with us." But when Martha finds out that Jesus and not just Jesus, check this out. It's Jesus and the disciples. When she finds out that they're coming, she begins 
to make the preparations. And I imagine that Martha is probably a whole lot like a whole bunch of us. Like when I know that people are coming over to my house, like I don't want my dirty underwear to be lying out on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like I want my house to be clean. I want it to be presentable for people. And so I imagine Martha, I mean, she is like, she's cleaning. You know, I'm probably got dirt floors, but she's cleaning them anyway. She's getting ready for this Jesus that is coming. And so Jesus is there. And once he's there, Martha is beginning to make preparations for a meal. And so you can imagine her trying to get the the, the dinnerware ready and trying to get everything set up for Jesus and the disciples to have this great meal with them. Now, what we see in the text is as Martha is making all of these preparations, as she's trying to get everything ready, she's like so busy. She's so consumed. The text says, Luke says, she's so distracted by what she's doing. And in the midst of her distraction, she looks over and she sees her sister, Mary. All right? And when she sees Mary, like Mary is just chilling. Okay? Like she is just at the feet of Jesus, like totally oblivious to what Martha is doing over here in the other room. All right, and, and Martha, here's the deal. A lot of you like read this story and you're like, oh, Martha, this, Martha, that. You know what? Like Martha's a whole lot like us. You know what I mean? Like Martha's a whole lot like me. Because as Martha is preparing and she sees Mary just like in her own little world, not helping, doing nothing except sitting at the feet of Jesus, she gets pretty hot. <laughs> like, she gets upset. And so I can just imagine Martha as she's working. Like, you know, it's like when your mom like, used to get mad at your dad and here in the kitchen and like things are making like a little bit more noise than like what they usually do because she's getting a little bit more frustrated and a little bit more frustrated. And she looks over there and she sees her again and she's like, you know, she's trying to make as much noise as she possibly can. So, Mar- so Mary will get up off of her booty and come into the kitchen and help. And finally, Martha just has like this complete breakdown. And she goes in to Jesus and she's like, Jesus, seriously, like I have been over here in the kitchen. I'm sorry, I'm getting too loud. I've been over here in the kitchen, like trying to make these preparations in Mary is just, she doesn't care. You know? Well, she's probably got tears coming down. She doesn't care about me. She's not done anything. She's just, like, she's just sitting there at your feet. And then, here, here comes the grenade. Like, Jesus just drops it in this response. And the response is what we're going to be looking at for the rest of the text. Jesus looks at her. And he says, Martha, Martha, you have been worried and upset about many things, but there's only one thing that's needed. Mary, your sister, yeah, she's chosen what's better. And what she's chosen, it'll never be taken away from her. Wow. So what does that mean? Like, so, so what are the implications of that for us today? Sorry, guys, I'm getting a little bit hot. All the activity in the kitchen. Okay, 
So this is what it means. And there's, there's three implications that I want us to be able to dive through this text as we study today. First thing is this. Women are disciples too. Women, like, like, you know, give them the nudge if you're sitting next to a guy. You know, like, women are disciples too. See, culturally, what's happening here is all the disciples are sitting around. I, I, I think they're right here next to Mary. And their expectations is that Jesus is going to respond a certain way. And Mary, being at the feet of Jesus, it has a very symbolic reason that, that Luke puts her here in the text. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, all right? Acts, Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Check out what happens here. This is Paul speaking, and he's speaking to a crowd in Jerusalem, and this is what he said. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in the city under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Now, in the ESV, if you check this out, it says that he was educated at his disciples' feet in the law. So what does that mean? It means that when you are sitting at the feet of someone in Scripture it symbolically means that they are your discipler and you are a, not just a regular person, right? Not just somebody that's, that's chilling by their feet. You are their disciple. This is the position that Mary is in. She is a disciple of Jesus. And so instead of Jesus responding the way that all the disciples have expected that he would in saying, you know what, Mary, you're absolutely right. Martha, Martha she's doing the job that she should be doing. Mary, you belong in the kitchen. Some of you girls probably wouldn't like Jesus at that moment, would you? You belong in the kitchen. Instead, what he does is he looks at Martha and he says, Mary has chosen what is right. What that means is that he has liberated Martha from finding all of her, who she is, Everything that she represents from being in the kitchen. Okay? She, he has freed her. He has liberated her from finding her identity being busy around the house in saying, you know what? If you want to find real identity, come to my feet. <laughs> if you want to find real identity, you will only find your real identity in me. That's where identity is found. So, what does that mean for us today? Men... Check this out. I believe that it is just as important for our women to be under the teaching of God as it is for men. Okay? So here's the implications of that. Check out this statistic. At Matthias Slot, we have 25 people signed up to work for our childcare during the service. Does anybody want to take just like a random guess at how many of those people are men and how many are women? Where is that at? Three. She's kind of cheating. She used to, she used to actually oversee the child care. Did you hear that? There are 22 women that are working in our child care, and there are three men. Do you guys think that we're doing a very good job of communicating to our women what Jesus is communicating to his disciples? 
she's a disciple too. If our men would get more excited about being with our children during the service, what you would be doing is you would be giving women an opportunity to sit under the teachings of Jesus. You see, in order to get this perspective, you have to realize that you have to find your joy in allowing other people to be in the teaching too. It's not about you. Here's another thing that I think that that does. I think that that teaches our children that men can be a part of their life in that setting as well. So many people talk about, well, isn't it crazy that we have this huge rise in our culture of men becoming homosexuals? Well, here's part of my question. If young boys had more men in their life and they weren't being constantly raised up in their schools by females and at their church by females and in their neighborhoods and at home by females because dad is either locked in the basement playing video games or he's out hanging with his buddies, maybe we wouldn't have so many young boys growing up to be homosexuals. You know what I'm saying? If men get involved in the lives of little boys and little girls and teach them what it means to be a man, I am confident that God will use that to train up boys how to being real men. And it frees up women to be disciples too. Here's another thing that I think is beautiful that we need to be able to take from this. Fathers, when your wife comes to you and says that she is desirous of being a part of maybe a women's ministry, because there's going to be teaching of older women to younger women or women to women in this ministry, I believe that that is a biblical thing. Titus chapter 2 verses 3 talks about the reality that older women are to teach younger women. (laughs) You know that? And so when your wife comes to you and says, would you be able to, to maybe watch the kids tonight so I can go and to be a part of this teaching or I can go to be a part of this Bible study or I can go to be a part of some accountability with another woman, is your heart joyful? Like, are you thinking, wow, you mean that I get to play a part in you being a disciple? That's awesome. Or are you bummed out because you've got to be with your kids? Let's get excited at Matthias Lot about our women being disciples too. Here's another thing. Here's another implication. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 28. Husbands in the room right now. It is your primary responsibility to be the lead discipler of your wife. Did you guys hear that? It is your primary responsibility to be the lead discipler of your wife. I come and teach sometimes on Wednesday nights. Mark teaches, Jeff teaches, we teach in all these different settings. I'm not the lead, resp- I'm not the lead discipler of your wife. You are. And here's the deal. If you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, men, how could you ever think that your wife will come and sit at your feet? Out of anybody in this world that knows how much you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, you better believe it's your wife you better believe that she knows better than anybody else knows. Ephesians chapter 5, in it we have a beautiful picture that we see Christ loving the church, His bride. And in this, we see Christ washing the church with the what? With the Word. 
He washes the church with the word. And then what does it go on to say? To present her to himself as a radiant church, to present your wife to God as your radiant bride. (laughs) In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. In the same way that Jesus Christ is washing His bride, the church, with the Word, the spoken Word, the written Word, in the same way, husbands, it is your primary responsibility to be the discipler of your wife. But here's the deal. If you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, she won't sit at your feet. Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus, men? Final thing I want to say is this. Women, Like, what I'm not saying is that all the men want you to lock yourselves in the closet 24-7 and read your Bibles. Okay? Like, although that would be really good for you because you'd get to learn a lot of Scripture, like, if I go home tomorrow and my wife has decided that she's going to lock herself up in the closet, my house will be on fire. Okay? I'll be driving up and I will see Julia tied up to the tree and Olivia standing there smiling. Like... I'll see Benjamin riding down the street on his bike naked. I will go hungry, okay? What I'm not saying is that women should just not do anything except read their Bibles, all right? Or just be a part of good teachings. What I'm saying is that you will all become Martha if you're never married. You will all become so consumed with the things of life that you won't be fed with what's best. And that's God. It's His Word. It's communion. You need women to recognize that you're disciples too. Here's the next implication. Being at Jesus' feet, it's always better. Being at Jesus' feet is always better. Now, in this story, what we see is Martha being the prime initiator of being the host. It says that Jesus and the disciples are going to Martha's house. It doesn't say Mary and Martha. I think that's primarily because she is the host. She is the one that has this gift of hospitality. And when they get there, the text says that there's a whole bunch of things that have to be done. So Martha's doing some stuff that are real needs. People got to eat. People got to sleep. People need to be able to have some shelter And so Martha is doing some stuff that's real, that's necessary. So that's the route that she takes. Mary, on the other hand, she's just at the feet of Jesus. She's totally oblivious to all the other things that are happening. That's the only place that she wants to be. Now, in Jesus' words, he says that Mary has in fact chosen what's better. Here's what you need to understand. What Martha's chosen is good. What Martha's chosen is good. If it wasn't good, then we completely negated everything that we learned last week. That good neighbors learn how to love each other correctly. Okay? Serving people is good. If we say that Martha is completely wrong, then what we're saying is that serving people is wrong. That's not the story. That's not what Jesus is saying. What He is saying is that Being at the feet of Jesus is best. Serving people is good. Being at the feet of Jesus is always better. I want to read a passage to you. Matthew chapter 4. 
Turn with me if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Look at this. This is all going to make sense to you right here. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of an analogy if it's still not clicking for you because I really want you to get this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. (laughs) Is what Jesus is saying is that bread is not good? No, he's not saying that bread is not good. He recognizes that all of us have to eat. We all have to live in the physical world that God has created. But what he is saying is that man is completely dependent upon the Word of God. We're all completely dependent upon that Word. This is how I think I could explain this for you right now. My wife and I, there's this little restaurant that we love off of North 3rd Street, and I'm going to give them some props. Vivian's Vineyards. Have any of you guys ever been there? Like, you walk into this place, and you would really think that, like, you would not want to eat here. (laughs) Okay? Like, every chair is different. Every single chair. There's not a single chair in the whole restaurant that's alike. Every tablecloth is different. There is wallpaper on the ceiling. Okay? I, I don't understand. Up in the upper room where we usually eat, there's like a desk in a computer where whoever owns the place like is doing their taxes. Okay? You would not think of this place as a good restaurant. But it is one of the most amazing places that I've ever found in St. Charles. And it's expensive. That's why the only time we go there is when they have like half-off coupons that we get in the mail. Because we're cheap. But, but here's the deal. When we go to this place, they always serve you bread and they always serve you salad. And like, it's okay, but the main course, oh, like their chicken is juicy. Like you cut it and like you just see fluid running out. It's always like smothered in this super fattening gravy. And like the, the bread that they bring out as an appetizer, it's okay. I think they buy it at Sam's. Like they don't make it. It's nothing special. And like I always kind of like make it taste better with a whole bunch of butter. Like that's how I roll. The salad is okay, but like I wouldn't say it's great. I think I'd prefer to have like a salad at Applebee's over this salad. I mean, it's, it's okay, but it's not great. But the main course is amazing. Now, me being who I am, and those of you that have eaten with me, if you put something in front of me, I'm going to eat it. And at this restaurant, like, when I sit down, I eat all the bread really fast. And the, the waitresses are really good, so they bring me more bread. I eat more bread. They bring me more bread. I eat more bread again. I'll go through, like, three or four loaves of bread. I, I just like to eat. I'll, I'll do the same thing with the salad. The salad will be gone in a second. The problem with that is by the time that that fatty piece of chicken comes, like, I'm almost done, (laughs) you know? I've let my eyes get, like, way bigger than my stomach, and I've eaten so much, and, like, I know that the main course is so good, but I'm already spent, you know? I've already eaten as much as I can. In the same way, so many of you are filling up your lives with the appetizer In the same way, so many of you, me, myself, I'm talking to me too, we're filling up our lives with everything that's in the physical. And so, I gotta 
make sure I know the right one here. And so when it's brought out, all right, so many of us are choosing the bread. You're doing a lot of good stuff, man. Like, you're coming to church. That's awesome. You go and you serve people in the nursing home down the street. That's amazing. You serve on a ministry here at our church. You're a lot family leader. You're working in the nursery. You're doing a ton of amazing stuff. But all of that serving people, as good as it is, I'm not saying that the appetizer is bad. As good as it is, it's all in the physical. And you can try to fill yourself up with it, but at the end of the day, it's going to leave you miserably hungry for something more, even though you feel like you're fooled up. Because you know what? Your schedule is full. You're doing a lot of stuff. When in reality, if we could learn that the appetizer is to be the appetizer, it's to bring us joy, it's to be good, but man, the main course is so much better. Like God has a banquet feast waiting for you. And here it is. It's so simple. You guys see this? Man, it's communion with God. The banquet feast is His Word. And so many of you are so busy that you don't even have time. When was the last time, honestly, that you just spent 30 minutes? Reflect. Ask yourselves. When was the last time that you just feasted on the banquet? When was the last time that you chose what was better? The Word of God is always better. You can't just depend on bread alone. Here's the third point. The third point is this. Serving people is good. It's good, right? You guys agree? Amen? It's good. We love that. Loving Him and loving His, right? You know what, though? It's got to be done with the right heart. If you don't do it with the right heart, you might as well go home. (laughs) If you don't do it with the right heart, it's not worth anything at all. Here's the deal. Martha chose to serve, and she chose a good thing. Martha chose to serve, and she did what Luke says to Theopolis that she probably had to do because there were some things that had to be done. That's what he says. And so many of us, as we think about Martha, in our minds, we like automatically read this story and we're like, oh man, Martha's an idiot. <laughs> Like, oh man, can you believe what Martha did? Like, on all the polls that we take, like on our MySpace account, and when we get on the internet, and we take those silly little polls that say, who is like one person that you would want to meet in your life? Everybody always says, Jesus. Of course you would want to meet Jesus. We would all want to meet Jesus in His physical body. And so when we look at Martha, we say, dude, like Jesus is in your living room. Go sit down. But the reality is, Jesus needed to be served. And the disciples needed to be served too. (laughs) So the problem is this. The problem is not what Martha did in her home. The problem is what she did in her heart. Write that down if you're taking notes. The problem is not what Martha did in her home. The problem is what she did in her heart. You see... 
So many of us can get involved in serving people, but if we do it with the wrong heart, we're completely wrong. I want, in order for you to understand this, I want to completely flip this story, all right? Now, I, I don't want to get like un, you know, scriptural, untheological here. I just want you to understand this from a different perspective. Imagine this. What if in this story we see Jesus and the disciples, okay, and the paparazzi too because they're always following them, and they show up to Martha's house, and when they show up, Martha opens the door, and she's just got this fresh smile on her face. She's just joyous. She's been listening to a little bit of Piper, a little bit of Keller. She just read the whole book of Romans, all right? She's thinking about, like, all of this grace that she's received, and she opens up the door, and she's just like, what's up, Jesus? It's so good to see you. And Jesus and the disciples come in. She shuts the door on the paparazzi, And when they come in, her heart is so excited about the fact that Jesus is in her home. And all that she can think about is, I want to serve you. And so in the way that she serves Jesus, she goes into the kitchen and she provides a meal. She goes and she cleans up. She tidies up a little bit. And the whole time she's thinking about the glory of God. And she's thinking about the beautiful opportunity that she has. Now, here's the difference. As Martha looks in, and as she sees Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, this is what she says. I am so blessed to have the opportunity to be able to provide in the kitchen so that my dear sister can get the best thing. I am so blessed to be able to help my sister sit at the feet of Jesus What if that's what she would have said? And then in response, Mary would have said, Jesus! Jesus! I mean, are you going to let this continue? The whole time I have been sitting here, I've been listening to your teachings, I've been at your feet, I have been totally in your presence, and the whole time that I've been here, my silly, busybody sister Martha is just going crazy in the kitchen. She won't sit down. She won't just stay here and just observe you. Jesus, would you just tell her something? Like, would you just tell her to come and sit down? I can't believe this. What if that was Mary's heart and that was the story that we got? How do you think that Jesus would have responded? I can imagine Jesus, and again, I'm just imagining here, okay? This is not in the text. But I can imagine Jesus saying... Mary, Mary, you have an opportunity to sit at the feet of me, at the feet of Jesus. That didn't sound right. At the feet of Jesus, okay? And your sister Martha, she's provided it. She has helped you to have this opportunity. And the whole time that you could have been sitting here taking in this Word as food for you and for your soul. You've been sitting here worried about Martha and she's serving me the way that I've gifted her to. She's serving me the way that she knows how. Wouldn't that be mind-blowing? Here's one more text that I want us to look at today before we close up, and it's this. In the book of Luke, we're going to get here eventually to this story, chapter 18 I want you guys to see this. This is huge. Remember, 
It does not matter what happens in her home. What matters the most is what happens in her heart. Remember in Genesis, we did a story. And in the story, we were talking about Cain and about Abel. And it didn't matter what Cain brought in his hands. It mattered what he had in his heart. Check this out. Read this with me. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. I think he's talking a lot to us. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Hmm. This is what I do. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance He would not even look up to the heavens. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself would be exalted. Both of the men came to church. We all came to church today, right? Both of the men prayed. (laughs) This man brought his tithe offering. He brought 10%. This man fasts. This this guy does all the right things. The problem is not what he's bringing in his hand. The problem is not what's going on in the physical. The problem is what's going on in his heart. He didn't really come to worship. Here's the deal. I believe that we are called to live a life of worship and that we can worship all the time. Does anybody agree with me? So if that's true, when you go into the nursery and it's your opportunity to serve in that place, what if, instead of worrying about the fact that you've been on the schedule for 12 months straight, once a month, and instead of worrying about the fact that there's 200 people that are in the worship service, but for some reason, you have to keep working in the nursery, even though you don't have kids, even though you're a man. What if for just a second, as your act of worship, you could say, because I'm in the nursery, somebody else is getting the best thing. And to me, that just brings me joy. Like to me, that just gets me excited. What if you could do that? Do you think that you could worship by service? What do you guys think? I think absolutely. What if, as a lot family leader, instead of getting so consumed with all the things that had to be done, man, I've been there. I've had like 9 o'clock in the morning, my kids have completely destroyed the house, they spilled Kool-Aid, like I can't find any clothes to wear, I forgot to study, whatever it is, okay? And like I've got people coming to my house in two hours, instead of getting so consumed with all of the stuff, what if just for a moment I could reflect on this beautiful thing that because I'm vacuuming my floor and because I am making food and because I am working hard to get my kids dressed and get them ready for people to come over to my house, that I'm helping to provide them with the best thing. Could I worship as I vacuum my floor? Absolutely. I think I could. Guys that are on buys and tries, 
You guys are serving in a hard ministry. There's no doubt about it. Loading in all this equipment every single week, being one of the last people to leave because you're carrying this massive subwoofer that's really, really heavy, and you're wrapping up all these cords that it takes to, to get this thing going, man, like, that's tough work. And the reality is, there's not a whole lot of people that want to do it. But what if for a moment, in the season that we're at as a church, you could say, man, because of my work, I'm allowing people to feast on the best thing. And I'm serving in the physical, but man, like, that's not where I'm getting my joy. I'm getting my joy from the banquet feast. It's the best thing. It's the one thing that's needed. Here's some implications that I think that we need to wrestle with tonight. I think that there's a lot of people here that have been serving and in your heart, man, like you've been just like Martha. You've been serving at a second Saturday, but when you show up and you find out that there's only six people there, you're bitter for the rest of the day because you think that there should have been more people with you. You've been in the nursery for two years and you've been bitter in your heart because you think that there should be more people so that you can be in the worship service more. If you're in the room and you're like that, I want to challenge you that you've been a whole lot like Martha. That's just true. The reality is, yes, more people need to serve, but until then, you worship Jesus. You worry about your worship. Don't worry about the worship of other people. Here's a text that I think should be encouraging to us. John chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is one of the texts that I never really looked at in this, in this passage. John chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Here's what's interesting about this text. You guys getting it yet? No more commentary about Martha's heart. I think she got it. I think that she took the rebuke from Jesus and that she realized that I can be hospitable and I can open up my home and I can worship too and I can serve the King. You can, by finding your joy in the banquet feast of God and resting in the better thing, you can serve people and realize that you're providing the best thing for them. Here's the second implication that I think that we have tonight. I think that there is a whole bunch of people in the room that are not receiving your joy from the Word of God. You're trying to receive your joy from all the bread. You're so consumed with the physical as a disciple. You're coming to church on time. You're serving in every ministry that you can possibly serve in. You're telling everybody that you know about Christ. But when it comes down to it, if people saw your private life, you are spending no time with God. You're not. I can't see your private life. Only you can. But if that's you, you are going to have a train wreck. You are going to wind up complaining to Jesus because you're not being fed, because you're not resting in the banquet feast. If that's you, I've got another text for us to reflect on tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Check this out. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Okay. <clears throat> this is what the text says. And this is beautiful. In fact, that Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 text that I read to you earlier, this is where it comes from. 
Okay, cool. Well, I'm here. Thank goodness I was in Bible drill. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And tonight, like me, Maybe some of you have been humbled. My prayer before I even shared this message to you was that God would convict my heart because I realize that there's a whole bunch of times where I'm straight up Martha, that I'm not finding my joy and my rest in the banquet feast that God's providing. If you tonight have, re- have recognized that God has brought you into this place so that he could humble you and help you to realize that you need to stop trying to live in the spiritual and receive your feast so that you can choose the better thing and serve God more correctly from His Word. We want to give you an opportunity tonight. If you guys will look kind of back here in the back, you'll see a cross. Around that cross, there are a whole bunch of Bibles. Brandon, why don't you go ahead and come on up, ma'am. There's a whole bunch of Bibles that have been spread out around that place. There's some pews that are over there. Here's your invitation tonight. We're going to spend a whole lot of time of worship here on the back end. We've got four songs that we're going to do. Maybe we'll do more. Maybe we'll do, we'll do less. We'll just see where the Spirit leads us tonight. But our desire is that everybody here would be here for the best thing, and that's to be at the feet of Jesus, for us to choose what's better. And so tonight, if you've recognized in your life that that is indeed not what you've been choosing, we want to give you an opportunity to respond, not by standing up and by singing like we always do, but by going back and just sitting at the feet of the cross and reflecting on what God is doing in your heart tonight. There's a whole bunch of Bibles that are spread out back there. It's going to be quiet back there. You can go and find some peace and like Mary, recognize that you just need to sit and you just need to feed yourself on the banquet feast that God's providing. If that's you tonight, here's your invitation. You can go whenever you're ready. But tonight, as a church, we need to learn that we need to find the best of both worlds. As Jeff told me earlier, we need to learn how to live like Mary in a world full of Marthas. Let's pray. God, we love you. I pray tonight that you would put me aside, Father, that you would put Brandon aside, and God, that you would help people to focus completely and solely on you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would choose the best thing, and that's to sit at your feet. God, tonight, if you have been stirring in the hearts of people and they have realized that they have been completely out of communion with you and they have been spinning their wheels trying to do so much in the physical but have been completely detached in the spiritual, I pray that you would lay a heavy burden on their heart. You would convict them and you would draw them to the foot of your cross. God, for those of in here that have been truly seeking to live like Mary, God, I pray that you would bring them joy and God, help them to stay on the track that they're on. We love you, Father. Help us to be at your feet tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.